Welcome to Liberalism in Question. My name's Rob Forsyth, and in this series from the Centre for Independent Studies, we look at liberalism today, its threats, its questions, its value, um, where it's going in its various forms. And my guest today is Jason Riley from the Wall Street Journal. Welcome. Jason, you've been writing columns since 1994 and have written many, uh, many books, but I notice that you, you constantly criticise liberals. Yes. <laughs> what does liberalism mean in America? Because I think it means something different from what I mean in Australia. It does. In fact, not just something different. It probably means something close to the opposite of how oh you use the term. So when we uh, discuss liberals uh, in America, what we're referencing is what you would call uh, the Labour Party um, uh, here in, in, in Australia. So, so that's the difference. We're talking about um, uh, different views of, of the role of government. And, and, and a liberal in America is someone who um, believes in a large role for the government to play mm -hmm. in uh, all kinds of matters in the lives of uh, citizens. And, and, um, and, and, and so uh, large taxes, uh, large welfare state, and uh, on downward from, from there. Whereas I'm, I'm here, we use the term to mean almost the exact opposite. Right. Classical liberalism, the, while it's seeing an important role for government, mm -hmm. is very interested in, in the society itself without government, m creating wealth, organizing itself, and so forth. Right. You know why the words mean so different? Where had that come from? Um, <laughs> well, because it's bizarre to me that they could mean exact opposites. The use of the word liberal has uh, changed over the decades in America. Um, the people who call themselves uh, liberal today, and to some extent call themselves uh, progressives, um, used to call themselves progressives in the first part of the 20th century exclusively. If you go back to American presidents uh, in the early 1900s, like uh, Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, they were known as progressives. And um, that is a term that fell out of favor uh, after uh, the rise of the eugenics movement mm -hmm. and culminating in Nazism. Uh, that had a taint to it, progressives. And so they stopped calling themselves that and started calling themselves liberals. And um, that is stuck for, for, for a time being. Uh, today, some of them, uh, the more extreme liberals uh, call themselves progressives again, um, now that the term has lost some of its taint. Well, so today, the, the terms progressive and liberal are used almost interchangeably. Well, what do, what do my kind of, what, what do actual liberals call themselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, in America, uh, they call themselves conservatives. Um, and the Republican Party is known as the more conservative party as opposed to the Democratic Party, which is known as the more liberal party. Uh, among conservatives, you also have a, um, a libertarian wing. Uh, and uh, uh, so not all conservatives see things exactly the same way, but the libertarians and the conservatives are both uh, what we would call on the political right in America yes. as opposed to the political left. One can draw a distinction between, in, my, in our language, between conservative and liberal. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're often connected, mm -hmm. but um, in fact, I think, for, for, some like Hayek said he was not a conservative, very strongly, yeah. don't be conservative. Yeah. Uh, is there, are there classical liberal conservatives and other kind of conservatives? That yes. is, th those who believe in big government uh, well, or, or social, social conservatism? Sure, sure. <laughs> there, there are uh, conservatives, and we're actually having a debate about this in America right now, um, particularly in the, in the, in the um, post-Trump uh, era. That we're, that we're in. Uh, I mean, some people say it's not quite post-Trump era. It's still the Trump era, <laughs> and there's an argument for that, but maybe we, that's a, we will a different see. conversation. We, we, we will see. But um, 
But there is a, a sort of um, big government conservative movement That's in America, what I was thinking of, yes. and Trump would 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 I think uh, be part of part of that movement, and that would be um, uh, quite distinct from the classical liberal that you're discussing, uh, who uh, wants to minimize the role of government in the lives of everyday uh, people. Um, someone more in the tradition of an Adam Smith or a, a John Stuart Mill yeah. or David Ricardo, um, sort of a more free market conservative. Whereas you do have conservatives who want to use government to achieve more conservative, conservative social goals. policies. Yes, like uh, and, and so yes, you do have well, some tension there. I the notice right. you're often called a black conservative, so there's something unusual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've never heard someone called, oh, he's a white conservative. Right. And, can, and can you talk about, about the race issue here? And, uh, sure. Um, uh, historically, uh, at least for the past um, five or six decades in America, uh, black Americans have typically been uh, on the left associated with liberalism. And um, so uh, a black conservative is not very common in, 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 in America, uh, or at least uh, black conservatives who identify as such are not very common. Well, in other words, I think uh, there's a strong case to be made that there are, are, are plenty of black Americans who share conservative views, um, but don't self-identify as a conservative. And, and that has to do with sort of uh, intra-racial um, uh, distinctions uh, among black Americans themselves and whether or not it's appropriate um, to identify as a conservative uh, given the history of well, the conservative movement in America with regard to race relations. Well, let me ask that. Um, am I not right that it was federal government intervention that helped really break the back of the uh, Jim, Crow Jim Crow laws in the South? And in fact, government, I mean, I mean, you may say government was a problem. <laughs> that, that was <laughs> where I was going to go with that. Please yes. go with it, yes. <laughs> yes, um, uh, I think that was um, the best thing the federal government uh, ever did uh, was to break the back of Jim Crow, right. particularly yeah. uh, in the South. But as you said, um, they were trying to clean up their own mess. I mean, slavery was a federal government program. <laughs> So, uh, Jim Crow, which came out of slavery, which was a system of uh, apartheid in America um, that uh, treated blacks differently from whites under our legal system of mm. government, that too was a government program. So the idea that the government would stop doing that, I think is a very good thing, but it is a, a very much them cleaning up their own mess. Where the, where the problem has come in with uh, the role of government beyond that is, um, uh, I think they've done much more harm uh, than good in trying to produce um, uh, equal outcomes among blacks and whites, which is uh, a lofty goal, something we'd all like to see, but I think uh, the government is ill-suited uh, okay. to do those things. I think the government's, uh, the better role for the government is to get out of the way, to make sure that there's a level playing field, uh, to create equal opportunity and then it will be up to individual groups to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, instead, what we've seen is a much more interventionalist government trying to do more than I think it's really capable of doing with respect to uh, helping under, under, uh, under uh, privileged minorities. I mean, this, this is the great, great issue about equality yeah. and liberalism. Is it to be equal opportunity, yeah. which may still require some intervention mm -hmm. too, 
or is it going to be equal outcomes? Yeah. And you're saying equal outcomes is not a good, not a good, not a, not a good aim. Well, I think equal outcomes are utopian. I, I, I don't see... Um, that is, they can't, they can't be achieved, are you saying? Correct. I mean, wh wh where have they been achieved would be my question. Yeah. Where, where, where do you find, can you point to a society today, uh, yesterday, here in Australia, in America, anywhere around the world, down through history, where you see this evenness of outcomes that um, is held up as, as, as uh, something that is attainable? And not only that, we are told by people who, who are pursuing it that where we don't see equal outcomes, something nefarious must be going on. Something fishy must be going on if we don't have uh, groups represented proportionately in terms of educational attainment, in terms of involvement with the criminal justice system, in terms of income levels, in terms of educational attainment, and, and, and on and on and on. Yet nowhere down through history do you find this, this, this racial balance or ethnic balance and outcomes that they're holding up as, as, uh, as, 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 as the norm. Um, and so I think, again, um, uh, we need to be realistic about our goals here. And I think when it comes to uh, government policy, the, the, the most that we can hope for is to be treated equally under the law. And then it will be up to various groups to take advantage of, of the opportunities uh, laid out under the rule of law. So you're, you're saying uh, inequality is natural? I think that is the, the lesson of history, that, that yes, inequality is natural. Um, I'm, groups I mean, have it, progressed, they have retrogressed. Um, it, uh, it's not as if uh, a, a group's socioeconomic status is set in stone. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Just because a group uh, may be lagging in this category or that category doesn't mean they will always be lagging. But what I'm saying is that um, you don't see this evenness of outcome that is held up as the norm by those on the left anywhere in society down through history. And, um, uh, and I'm of the opinion that um, any expectation that we would have okay. such a thing is in fact utopian. Jason, do you think there are sometimes there is, if not nefarious, there is in it, there's an inappropriate inequality of outcome. That is, it's, there are actually things holding people back which shouldn't be holding them back. Or is it always, all inequality is basically a matter of um, the way people, well, is the response of people themselves or is society sometimes still to blame, to put it that way? Well, different groups, uh, you know, come out of different cultures. Uh, different behaviors, different attitudes, different skills. Mm. Uh, we don't all enter this world with the same chances. Um, uh, you know, where you're born can have a huge impact on, uh, uh, yes. on your chances in yes, life, um, on your progress in life. Uh, if you are born into a culture that, that really values uh, literacy, um, learning, uh, books, and that sort of thing, and you live in a society where those types of skills are rewarded, then you're going to be in a much better situation than if you come out of a culture in the same society that does not value those things. And, 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 and so um, uh, we are products of our culture, and all cultures are not the same. Uh, again, that does not mean that a culture is set in stone, mm -hmm. but uh, when you look around the world um, at various groups, 
you, you often, it, it is not uncommon to see a group uh, that started out down here and that has ultimately risen up here, notwithstanding the fact that that group has faced discrimination, faced race, been treated as, as a second, third class yes. citizen, and so forth. It's just not, not uncommon. In America, for example, um, among the highest achieving groups are Asian Americans, particularly Chinese and Japanese Americans. In America, uh, Chinese, uh, the Chinese were lynched. Oh, yeah. um, the Japanese Americans were put in internment camps mm. during World War II. Uh, there were limits on, on land ownership for Asians. They were put in separate school systems. And yet today, um, Asian Americans outperform white Americans both academically and economically and have for decades. So a group that has started out down here, faced all kinds of discrimination, yeah. has nevertheless managed to lift itself to prosperity. And that is not an example limited to the United States or to Asian Americans. You can look at, at uh, Jews in any number of countries around the world where they were subject to, uh, to discriminatory policies. You can look at um, uh, ethnic Chinese in Southeast Asia, who again outperform um, other people in society, notwithstanding the fact that they face all kinds of limitations. So again, you, we, we, we are sometimes quick to assume that um, discriminatory policies uh, are blanket explanations for outcomes in life. But that is not what we see when we look at society after society. What does that say about, about black America? Because I believe they, they're often not performing as well as, 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 other, as other groups? They're, they're, they're not. And um, I think that uh, today uh, we are too quick, uh, in American society in particular, to assume that those racial disparities are um, a re result of discrimination. Um, when in fact, I think that uh, those disparities have much more to do with um, a lack of, of, of cultural development in some areas of the black community, uh, an underdevelopment that has not taken place. And uh, the reason, ironically, I think in many cases it hasn't taken place is because of policies that have been put in place to help blacks. In other words, um, expansions of the welfare state intended to reduce income inequality have uh, uh, made blacks more dependent on government. Um, they've damaged the work ethic within uh, uh, some aspects of the black community. Uh, so these are well-intentioned policies, but um, they have wound up subsidizing um, uh, harmful behaviors um, that uh, I think have held blacks uh, back far more than any discrimination has held them. Or, 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 or legacy of slavery. For or example. legacy of slavery, yes. I've heard people say that the, the, the breakdown of marriages is a crucial, a, a crucial factor. It, yes, exactly. And that's a very good example of um, the, the use of discrimination as an all-purpose explanation. Um, if you go back to uh, the 1920s, the 1930s, uh, black marriage rates in America were higher uh, than white marriage rates. Yeah, you are. Um, and yet, of course, the 1920s and the 1930s were talking about blacks who were only one or two generations removed from slavery, mm -hmm. which ended in 1865. So um, uh, you fast forward from the 1920s and 30s into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, 
and you see much higher um, uh, rates of family breakdown, uh, single parenting, and so forth. Uh, now, how can you attribute that to the legacy of slavery when you had better outcomes in the black family in the 1920s and 30s? Yet that is what is commonly done. Um, I'll give you another statistic that, that sort of um, undermines this legacy of slavery argument. Um, black poverty in America is uh, usually about a third higher than white poverty. Right. But among black married couples, the poverty rate in America is in the single digits. Uh, so what is driving poverty in America? Is it um, discrimination and the legacy of slavery? Or is it attitudes towards marriage in the black community? There you are. Um, yet that is a, 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 a question that is seldom asked when we are discussing um, uh, what is driving poverty in black America. Uh, because of course it's seen as blaming the victim and, uh, uh, and, and, and so people shy away from cultural explanations of racial disparities and jump very quickly to um, this must be something that someone is doing or that society is doing to black people. This can't at all reflect um, the behavior of blacks. Now the reason you, you're conservative in the sense of you believe in a lesser role of government, mm -hmm. you've shown me what's wrong, what you've, you've said that many explanations for government involvement are unhelpful, in fact counterproductive at times, some of the government outcome. What's, what's, what's the positive reason why you believe in a, in a smaller government? Well, I, I, again, I like to look at um, uh, history and data. I take a more empirical yep. approach uh, to looking at um, what has worked and what has not worked. And in my reading of uh, the history of blacks in America, I saw much faster progress when the government was playing a much smaller role. So if you go back to um, the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s, you saw blacks increasing their levels of income at faster rates than whites. You saw black incomes rising at faster is rates than whites. Is this the south or the north? Is it this is all across the despite country. Despite Jim Crow. Despite Jim Crow, um, uh, despite much more racial discrimination in society and attitudes yes. uh, than you have today, you saw faster black progress than you've mm -hmm. seen in more recent decades. And that tells me that, um, that a lot of the, the programs put in place to help blacks uh, have been interfering with that internal self-development uh, that I think needs to take place. In other words, I think culture, uh, human capital, attitudes, habits, behaviors are far more important uh, in the advancement of a racial or ethnic minority group than special um, uh, uh, consideration uh, or special treatment by the government. And, and, and unfortunately in America, the, uh, the liberals uh, take- Your kind of liberals, my, yes. My, my, uh, progressives, yes. My, my uh, uh, definition of liberals, the progressives, take exactly the opposite approach. And so among uh, a lot of liberal elites, among a lot of ethnic uh, leaders, uh, what you see is an attempt to turn to the government to put in place special programs to help blacks, I see those special programs as barriers in and of themselves because of the incentives that those programs put in place. Does religion play a role at all? I think religion has historically played uh, a role, I, I an think, important I role in, um, in a number of ways in um, 
in helping uh, racial and ethnic minority groups rise. Uh, you can point to the example of the rise of Irish Americans in America, for example, uh, after uh, immigrating there, starting in large numbers in the mid-1800s, in the mid-19th century. The, um, the Catholic Church in particular played a huge role in assimilating new immigrants, uh, building hospitals, building schools, uh, highlighting the importance of hygiene and things like that. And, um, and, and that was a very important legacy. Similarly, the black church has, has historically played a very, very important role, particularly in the civil rights movement yes, of, the mid, of, of the mid-20th yeah. century. Um, uh, uh, so, so yes, and, and, and to this day, um, the church, the black church, is one of the few viable institutions uh, remaining in some of the um, poorest inner city black communities in America. So yes, the church, the church can play a role. In my reporting, um, when I do speak to ministers, however, um, one of the complaints they have is that um, they tell me the pews are full of women and they want to reach the men. And that is one of the problems, the challenges that the black church is having. Yes, I, I could imagine that's being true. Um, I can imagine being true. You, you, uh, you also have a view, I believe, that, that you, you're a believer in the value of immigration in a society. Well, yes, I, I do um, and, think uh, that, that immigrants, uh, particularly in America, and that is the immigration system I'm most familiar with, um, have traditionally played uh, uh, a positive role. Uh, now, I, I, I uh, understand that, uh, again, trade-offs are involved in immigration. Um, um, all immigrants are not playing a positive role, um, but neither are all immigrants playing a negative role. And I think on balance, uh, immigrants have been net contributors, not only economically um, uh, uh, to America, but, um, but primarily economically in the sense that they have helped to revitalize the population. Um, uh, as you know, immigrants are self-selecting. Um, and an immigration system that allows um, people to come and to um, participate in uh, uh, freely in our labor markets in particular and pursue their own interest, uh, uh, I think they're helping the country as a whole. And I think that is what immigrants have tended to do uh, in America. Even the ones, even the low-skill ones, even the poor ones who come in search of a better life um, I think manage to um, do better for themselves, but also make important contributions uh, to the country. And so I am someone who has um, generally supported more open immigration uh, policies, notwithstanding the fact, again, that there can be uh, a downside uh, to this. And so um, uh, we, we, we have to acknowledge that, that there are pros and cons to immigration, but on net, I met, think uh, I mean, they've been a good thing for America. Given your emphasis on culture and institutions yeah. and the fact that you're saying that you believe the black community has declined in effect in the last few decades, what hope is there for change? If it's not going to be more government policies or reparations or, 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 or what, what, is the, what is the way to, to bring about a better outcome for well, generally, America? Uh, generally, and we've seen this in recent years as well, um, generally black Americans have tended to do better uh, economically when the economy is growing, when there are tight labor markets, and when they have access to those labor markets. And uh, that's what we've had in America for some time now, the better part of the past decade, in fact. And uh, blacks have been taking advantage of that. You've had uh, record low 
unemployment rates. You've had record low poverty levels. Um, under the previous administration, under Donald Trump, prior to COVID, we had a period where black wages were rising at a faster rate than you know, white this, this wages. This one comes as a surprise to me. The America. image I have is yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Well, it's not, so. <laughs> it's not something the media particularly like to highlight, particularly under Trump, because they were uh, dead set against his presidency and didn't want to give him, but the whole black him lives, credit for anything. The whole Black Lives Matter movement painted a picture which is, which is dark uh, yeah, the, and dour. It, it's, it's good that you, that you mentioned that. What, what you've had, um, I would argue, in America uh, since the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s is a, is a black leadership that has turned that movement into an industry, if not a racket. And um, they raise money, um, they stay relevant by pretending that nothing has really changed in America for blacks since the 1950s and 60s. For them, it's always 1950 <laughs> in America because uh, okay. that's how uh, the activists raise money. That's how uh, some members of the Democratic Party get their voters to the polls by pretending that all the problems that blacks face are due to structural racism or unconscious bias or, um, or the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. And, and so you will always have this element in, of the black leadership out there um, uh, uh, selling this line to black Americans, notwithstanding the fact that uh, a tremendous amount of change has taken place and notwithstanding the fact that the civil rights movement uh, the civil rights battles were fought and won a long time ago by the right side. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that is now incumbent among, uh, for blacks to take advantage of those victories. And, and there are things that the government cannot do for black people that only blacks can do for themselves. And this civil rights leadership out there today doesn't want to acknowledge that because it will only diminish their relevance. Wouldn't I be right in saying, if, if, on, your, on what you mean is telling me, in fact, not only does it not help, it actually hinders. Oh, absolutely. The victim mentality it, it, prevents the very change yeah. that, that, that you think is crucial. And I can give you a good example of that, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement, because their major focus has been policing. Yes, yes. Law enforcement. And their argument is that essentially police pick on black people. And, and that is the reason we have racial disparities in America is because the police are picking on us. Um, they use phrases like uh, blacks are incarcerated at a higher rate than whites. Um, they don't talk about blacks committing crimes at higher rates than whites, <laughs> mm -hmm. which would explain the incarceration rates. I mean, in other words, uh, you know, men are incarcerated at higher rates than women. Correct. Young people are incarcerated at higher rates than older people. No one attributes this to bias in the system. We attribute it to the fact that young men disproportionately commit crime, particularly violent crimes. And so it is the case among blacks in America, where you have a disproportionate number of young black men committing crime and, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement refusing to acknowledge that situation and deal with it, instead focusing on uh, police behavior and pretending that the biggest problem in these black communities is the police rather than the criminals. And the problem with doing that, when you scapegoat law enforcement, you affect the quality of law enforcement in these communities. Police are much less reluctant 
to get out of their vehicles, to engage with the public. Uh, they are, they are um, much more hesitant to do proactive policing that we know is the most effective policing. And all that does is make these black communities much more dangerous because the criminals now have the run of the place. And black criminals, as criminals of all races do, tend to prey first and foremost on their neighbors. Mm, yes. And so yes. to the extent that you are scapegoating police, you are going to um, promote less effective policing, which is only going to hurt the law-abiding members of these black communities who are most of the members of these black communities. So the efforts of the, of the Black Lives Matter movement to target police is only hurting uh, the black community writ large. And that's a perfect example of a civil rights uh, movement being completely out of, out of touch with the needs of everyday blacks. Because if you do polls, and there have been plenty of polls done of black people who live in these communities and ask them, do you want less policing in your community? They say, absolutely not, we want more policing. And yet you have a black leadership out there calling for less policing. And, 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 and there you see this disconnect and, and between and the leadership. And also white uh, fellow travelers who are interested. Yep. I mean, the Black Lives Movement is very much a white yep. movement as well. How, question about you personally. Have you always held these weird views? I guess to, one, to, to, to some extent. I have. I mean, as, as a child... Uh, what I'm asking is, why, why are you not like the, black, the other, other parts of black leadership? Well, that's, 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 a, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, I guess in terms of my upbringing, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a, in, a, in a particularly political household. I mean, we didn't sit around the dinner table at night discussing uh, politics in my family. But I was um, uh, raised... Uh, in a deeply religious household. Uh, so there's a, there was a sort of social conservatism there. And there was also um, uh, an emphasis on personal responsibility and, right. and, and, and personal behavior uh, being a big deal. Um, that was something my parents instilled in me and my siblings at a, at a, at a very young age. Um, so I guess uh, it might have started there. Um, I wasn't raised to blame my problems on other people. Um, I wasn't taught to do that no. from, from my parents. And um, uh, in college I, uh, is when I really started to become a little more political. I worked on the school newspaper and discovered some, uh, some writers like Thomas Sowell. Uh, uh, I've written a book about Thomas Sowell, but there are other uh, black academics, uh, particularly economists, Glenn Lowry, was another one, uh, another race scholar named Shelby Steele comes to mind. Uh, I discovered uh, a half dozen or so of these individuals when I was in college. And they sort of, um, uh, while I was already somewhat thinking like them, they sort of gave me the vocabulary to express myself that I didn't have. And they had a much more systematic way of thinking about these, these, uh, these issues. And I, I gleaned a lot from that and, 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 and those individuals um, uh, had a huge impact on my journalism and my thinking uh, going forward. From in fact, there. you both made a film about Thomas Sowell and written a book I, about I Thomas I did. Sowell. I did. In addition to, um, to writing the biography of Sowell, I narrated a documentary film about him. And I was happy to do that. I mean, Sowell is, is, is 93 years old now. He turned 93 in June. And um, 
uh, one of the goals of, of writing the book and doing the documentary was to sort of uh, introduce him to a younger uh, demographic. And uh, because the documentary film has been streamed on places yes. like Amazon, they can track uh, you know, who's watching it. And I've been pleased to learn that um, a younger cohort of in viewers fact, has been attracted to, to Thomas Sowell. So I've sort of reached a, a group that I was really hoping to with that film. It's that time to get to come toward the end. I want to ask you the question about the future. Um, are you optimistic about the future, given, um, it seems to me, the fact that your views are very much still minority views amongst the black, 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 and amongst many people, in fact? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, one reason uh, in the short run that I'm not particularly uh, optimistic is because uh, in America right now, the, the progressive left is very much ascendant. Um, uh, you have a lot of young uh, socialist thinkers, Marxist thinkers that um, have really captured the imagination of a lot of young people in America right now, even more so than usual. You know, young people have always sort of tended to start on the left and, uh, and, and, and as they get older and experience life a little more, moved a little more to their right. But um, uh, when I look at our politics in the U.S. right now, uh, the wing of the Democratic Party that has been gaining the most momentum in recent years is that more progressive wing. And there are also a number of um, black progressives that have gained a lot of prominence in the United States over the past five to ten years. And, um, and so in the short run, um, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic. Wh I think why we that? feel that I have our work cut out. Because these They've, they've gained so much attention. They're writing books that are, that right. are being read, uh, widely cited. Uh, we have um, uh, the most pernicious aspect of this has been that uh, America's most prominent newspaper, the New York Times, has uh, started a project to try and rewrite American history. Um, it's called the 1619 Project, and 1619 was the, uh, the year that the, the first blacks arrived in America. And uh, so they've labeled it the, the 1619 As, as enslaved people? Well, there's some debate about oh, okay. whether they were enslaved or okay. indentured servants. Okay. Uh, the first who came, uh, uh, many believe, many historians believe that they weren't enslaved. No, they weren't slaves, they were indentured servants. Uh, later yeah. uh, arrivals became slaves. But in any case, there is some agreement that the first blacks to come were 1619. Um, and, and in any case, the, 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 the point of this... The cultural swing, you're saying, is towards the progressive still, strongly. It's toward the progressive still, and, it's, um, well, and, this, and this particular project is trying to reframe U.S. history and place slavery at the center of it. And, uh, and it's gained a lot of, out of momentum. In other words, this group is saying that what makes, unique, what, what makes America unique is its slave past. And some of us on the other side say... No, that is not what makes uni uh, America unique. Slavery has existed uh, you know, through societies all over the world thousands of years before the creation of America. What makes America unique is emancipation, not slavery. It's how fast we went from slavery yes. to a Martin Luther King to a black president. That's what makes America unique. And yet there's a move to center slavery. Uh, 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 you said short-term pessimistic. Are you long-term optimistic then? Well, I... I, I I mean, let me, let I, I am, I am. Let me put it this way. If, yeah. if, if you're right, and I think you are, these solutions are being offered by the progressive will not work. They, they will work. But there come a time to say, 
well, we're still no better. Maybe something else. That, that, is, that is one reason. It, to it, it will take a generation. Maybe not that long, <laughs> but th th that is one reason to be optimistic, that, that simply these policies don't work, and, and they, will, they obviously don't work, and so people will be looking for something else. Another reason to be uh, somewhat optimistic is that I think the pendulum, the progressive pendulum, has swung too far. In other words, we are having conversations in America right now where people are calling math racist, where people are calling punctuality white supremacy. Um, we're having conversations where yeah. um, people who swam on the boys team last year are swimming on the girls team this year, winning all the races, and no one is allowed to notice. And I think for the average American, that is a bit much. I think we are tearing down statues of, of Abraham Lincoln and, 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 and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and erecting statues of George Floyd. And I think that, for many Americans, is a bridge too far. Overage. And so that is one reason that I'm, I'm optimistic, that people will, will, will say enough, enough yeah. of this nonsense. Jason Riley, thank you very much. I'll be speaking with Jason Riley from the New York, from, uh, I'm going to put you in the New York Times. That would be a terrible thing to say. A you. terrible, <laughs> ter terrible thing From to the say. Wall Street <laughs> Journal. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been another in the series, Liberalism in Question. I'm Rob Forsyth. Thanks for watching.